0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up,
1: man? Not too much, Andrew. Didn't I just talk to you a couple days ago? What is this? We're back to two times a week. It it feels great. Mid season form. We don't exactly have mid season content levels right (laughs) now. I think we're we're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. But it is nice to kind of get back into our our regularly scheduled programming And, and we mentioned this on last episode, but From here going forward, during the rest of the regular season, we're back to two times per week. Thanks to everyone who, uh, you know, bared with us during the offseason when we went to one time a week. Uh, It's going to be fantastic. And as always, if you have questions, comments, concerns, please email them to openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. You know, I went through and read a whole bunch of them uh, last night, Andrew, as we were looking for stuff to talk about today. Yeah. Our listeners incredibly funny, incredibly smart. They love zinging us. They love holding us to account. And that's kind of what really makes the show go, right? I mean, to me, it's the open floor globe and and we're just conduits. So without further ado, I think we should jump into some of these questions.
0: Well, yeah. Uh, first of all, we're going to save the questions for a little bit later because we have to update people on where we are with Jimmy Butler. But I, I will... <laughs> Piggyback on what you said, there's no way we could do two podcasts a week without like significant contributions from the emailers because <laughs> I would get sick of you so quickly. We would not make it to November, but thankfully, the Open Four I mean, Globe continues to come through.
1: If you think I come up with a lot of corny things as it is, imagine if it was <laughs> all extemporaneous. It was just it was- off the top coming up with Wind Connoisseur and all this other nonsense. You would be overloaded.
0: Yeah, it would be a real issue. But um yes, so we're recording this early Thursday afternoon. It's about one thirty East Coast time. I have to travel later in the day, so we're doing this a little earlier than we would like. Oh, so
1: fancy. Wow, and, Wow. fancy. Well, Private jet or what are you doing here?
0: Yeah, I'm hopping on the PJ. Who knows where I'll end up. Uh, but listen, I mentioned that because We tried to jinx the Jimmy Butler trade on Monday, and we were almost certain that that was going to lead to him getting traded before the podcast was published. We're trying it again. I don't know where we are. I'm going to start with three updates from Twitter this morning. Uh, First from Woj, he says, ESPN reporting with Zach Lowe. Minnesota's asking price for Jimmy Butler remains too steep for teams. Minnesota sees quality vets... Top prospects, future assets, slash cap relief. Too high a price for interested teams, including Miami. Sources are skeptical of Thibodeau's desire to make a deal. And then Zach Lowe, piggybacking on that report, says, That is the situation as of this morning. It could, of course, change on a dime. Not sure it's possible to exaggerate how volatile things are in Minnesota right now. And then a few hours later... Stefan Fusaro, another ESPN reporter, added that sources close to Jimmy Butler tell me that he's extremely frustrated with the Wolves' hesitation to get a deal done, there's that steep price again, and the source reiterated that Butler would love to be in Miami, but at this point, he just wants the process to be done one way or another. So I have a lot of thoughts there, but what's what's your initial reaction to how this is playing out?
1: Well, first things first, if you're just going to name off every single reporter on this story, would you please mention John Krasinski from The Athletic? He's done a great job. Blow by blow, taking you inside Tib- Tibbs' uh, demented mentality well, and you know all the inner I, workings of the Timberwolves organization. So I just let's just give him a little love too, okay?
0: Yeah, shout out to John. And also, he's done a great job on the Timberwolves for years now. And so it's been nice to see him get some real national recognition. And you're right that's my fault for not uh, recognizing him as well um Britt Robson doesn't do the wolves beat anymore and so John has been kind of owning that corner for a while and and he's owned this story but uh beyond that oh, don't
1: take it personally I was adding to your list of you okay. know, excellent uh, aggregation well, beyond you know, the navel gazing. A major slip up
0: how are you feeling yeah. about the wolves right now?
1: Well, we're back for more. We're trying to jinx this thing, you know. We're trying to speak it into existence. I mean, I liked how their asking price was too high, you know, quote unquote, per that report you just said. But really, they were just looking for anything positive, right? It was like we want good players, we want maybe young players, we want draft picks. <laughs> literally, give us anything. That's our. And then people are like, "No, nah, you know, that's you're probably asking too much for Jimmy Butler." Um, this is what I meant. You know, this is why you don't do this, uh, you know, backed into a corner, uh, in September because all these teams understand, you know, how precarious your, your position is. Mm -hmm. I, I think we should look at these rosters though, like Miami's roster, Clippers roster, Knicks Nets, you know, whoever else you can think maybe would get in on this, uh, this trade scenario. What are the pieces if you're Thibodeau? And we talked about this a little bit last week, but we didn't really dive in. What are the pieces that would, would sort of be like, okay, that's enough for me to get it done, right? And obviously, he's got to lower his expectations. Like, that will naturally come because they're not going to be able to get a great piece. But, like, what's the best type of piece you think he could get in a Jimmy Butler deal right now?
0: Um, if I'm Tibbs, I'm looking for a wing because, although, who knows what Tibbs is actually thinking. I mean, he's built that team. There are three point guards, Derek Rose, Tyus Jones, and Jeff Teague. There are several big men, and they are really gonna be light on the wings beyond Wiggins, uh, once yeah, they lose Yeah, Slow Jimmy down, slow down.
1: I don't know if we give him credit for building this team. But he <laughs> yeah. kind of threw it together. Like the, he builds in the same way that I cook, right? Yeah. I'm just throwing ingredients. I make peanut butter tacos. His roster is the peanut butter tacos of rosters.
0: Maybe mismanage is the better verb for what Tibbs has done out there. Um, I it, before we look at like what pieces there they should be seeking, uh, because again, I I like that you point that out. the The Woj tweet was hilarious. He wants quality vets, top prospects, future assets, cap relief. It's like okay, good luck with that. Um, but the the Tibbs situation is is interesting too because I think that. Teams kind of sense that there's blood in the water with him. And so I think that dysfunction is being exaggerated by real Jimmy Butler suitors to try and drive down the price here. And, uh, and Tibbs is a really easy target right now. Um, and I I don't blame him for waiting. Like if I were him, I'm, I'm like, look, I've got a year left to coach this team. Probably, um, and we don't need to do this deal on Jimmy Butler's timetable. And I, I think a lot of people are leaking the idea that he he thinks Jimmy is going to come back and and play with the Wolves, and he's completely delusional. And I, that's not outside the realm of possibility. But I think it's more realistic that he's just not going to get completely screwed on this. And. Tibbs has done a dozen things wrong in Minnesota and we can get to that, but I don't think that posture is is necessarily the wrong play here.
1: Well, I would say this, like that old game of chicken where like, you know, you're, you're driving and, and seeing like, who's going to flinch first. I think Thibodeau would be very good at that game because I don't think right. he would have any problem getting into a head-on collision with the brick wall or another moving object. So I would not want to be in a, a staring contest with Thibodeau because he does have kind of that madman complex that they always talk about in like international relations where it's like, Oh God, we have to go negotiate (laughs) with North Korea. Like they'll do anything. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Well said. Um, But they have to resolve this. Like, let's say he's still the coach, right? Unless he's trying to get himself fired. Like if he's still the coach, they need something back for Jimmy immediately. They can't go into the season with Jimmy held out Look at their lineup; it's an absolute mess. With they don't have any kind of parts coming back to fill that hole. They need something there, and that's why you know I think people are just sort of waiting for him to finally you know admit that he's bluffing, or waiting for the ownership to get really desperate. But like preseason games starting a couple days, the season's right around the corner. I mean, even a team like the Lakers. Where they have a million moving parts, and their main theme through the first three days of of training camp that I've been there has just been like we're really new, we're trying to like learn each other, we're trying to figure it out. Is going to be like lapping Minnesota in terms of the preparation game because they're going to be you know behind the eight ball waiting for this thing to play out. So you know to me. They still have to get a deal done. And the only way it's going to happen is for them to lower the asking price that you're talking about. Well, to, to answer my, the question that I asked earlier though, uh-huh. if they can get Josh Richardson from Miami as like the centerpiece guy coming back, shouldn't that get this done? Like if I'm Miami, I'm th- kind of yeah. saying, oh, if you can choose from justice, you can choose from James Johnson. Like you kind of float these other players out there, but like ultimately if push comes to shove and they're saying, okay, we'll, we'll give you Josh Richardson shouldn't that be enough for Minnesota to be like, we're not going to do better. We can sell this as like a younger Jimmy Butler coming back with some, you know, real upside, great contract. I mean, I feel like that's where this whole thing should be headed. I don't know if it'll get there though.
0: Yeah. And look, I don't love Josh Richardson as much as other people do. And as much as heat fans have the last few years, like I think there are shades of Jimmy Butler, but in the same way that, Jalen Brown is not going to magically turn into Kawhi Leonard over the next few years. I don't think that the curve is going to be linear with, or the curve for Jimmy wasn't linear. Let's say that. And, and I, I think that like nobody could have anticipated how good he was going to become. And I think it's more realistic that Josh Richardson is going to be a capable fourth or fifth starter. But even that, is a huge win at this point in the process. So I completely agree. Like, if you can get Josh Richardson from Miami, that's going to get the deal done. I bet that that has not been offered to him at this point, though, and that's part of the holdup. And, and if this is going to be sort of a staring contest. The, the question I have for you, though, uh, why is Thibodeau the one making this deal? And would if you were running the Wolves, would you just fire him now?
1: Well... I mean, I'm not convinced he's going to be the one who winds up making the deal. I mean, especially the, the whole thing about Glenn Taylor at the owner's meeting, like kind of like walking around the the water cooler and being like, hey, guys, if you have any offers, let me know. Like He's just sort of like <laughs> out there begging to like make a trade market. Um, I'm not going to pretend I know who's exactly making this deal. I would stick with Thibodeau just because, uh, at least for this season, unless the season gets completely away from them, because you have... All these other guys who have become familiar with him. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns is not some just random like stand in player, right? He's a top, you know, 20 guy in the league and he expected Thibodeau to be his coach this year. He prepared like Thibodeau was going to be his coach this year. So you should just sort of ride that out. I wouldn't just yank the bandaid off right now, but I think in the back of my mind, I would be planning for the post Thibodeau era and and starting that, you know, basically as soon as this season ends. Uh, because I, as I've said before, you know, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. And I think that's going to be, you know, ultimately what kind of what does Thibodeau win because of his short term thinking, kind yeah. of putting them, you know, almost two steps back from where they could have been, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. Who so, are some of the other players you'd look at, though? I mean, I think we should really drill down on that. I mean, is there anybody on the Clippers who gets you excited? Like if the piece coming back is like, I don't know, Tobias Harris, and now you've got Wiggins and Harris as your front court.
0: Um, The problem with that is Tobias Harris is going to be a free agent. And and so I don't know if you can keep him, number one. And number two, if you keep him, you're probably going to have to overpay. And I don't know what you have at that point. So that's like, I would much rather have Josh Richardson, who's signed, I believe, through like 2022, than trying to go talk yourself into Tobias Harris as like a championship level piece and then having to pay him next summer and and possibly losing him for nothing. Like, that's just, it's a bad deal in a couple different ways.
1: Okay, another thought that I had. You know how we were, there some of the reporting was Sacramento's trying to get in the mix to get a first-round pick back, or they're yeah. just trying to use their cap space to kind of facilitate. I mean, Sacramento's got, like, 12 young guys, none of whom are actually good, but... Maybe you could talk yourself into one of them. What if you do the spite? What if you do the spite trade to Sacramento for just like one of their random young prospects and just make him deal with the Kings' reality for a season? I mean, would that be a way out of this? Uh, for oh, man, uh, Minnesota. I mean, sort of like the Rudy Gay move, you know, from a few years ago, where. You know, Sacramento talks himself into some crazy scenario that's probably not going to work out. Uh, You know, Jimmy probably has to just hold out after the trade. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, ask himself to get traded again. I mean, would there be a scenario where you could dump him somewhere he doesn't want to go to a team that's so desperate to have talent that they'd give you something you might actually want?
0: I think it was you who coined the term spite trade when you were pushing for the Spurs to trade Kawhi to Phoenix or Sacramento like six months ago. And I really enjoy the idea of a spite trade, but also the idea of pairing Kat with Marvin Bagley and having that be your frontline defense is, is like a recipe for a full-blown Tibbs breakdown. Um and beyond that, like Willie Cauley Stein, did you see Willie Cauley Stein come out at media day and say, I'm ready to get paid? That's, that That's what this year is about for me.
1: I mean, me too, honestly. Like, why don't we just <laughs> get in front get of the paid. cameras and make these declarations? Oh, <laughs> We're all ready. Yeah. There's no one on Sacramento okay, well, that I
0: would want. Sorry. I mean, De'Aaron Fox, I it, love De'Aaron Fox, but even he he is not really moving the needle.
1: Okay. The sad thing is I wasn't even thinking uh, that they could get Fox or Bagley for Jimmy at this <laughs> point. I, I was more thinking, like, what if it's two out of the three of, like, like ben Scal, McLemore, Buddy, Buddy and Buddy, yeah, and and Bogdan Bogdanovich you know like if you could get two of those three and spite trade him and just be done with it and you know know that you've got the moral high ground because he has to deal with playing for the Kings. I mean, <laughs> there's there's some temptation there, isn't there?
0: There is, and I enjoy the idea of Thibodeau just burning it down and saying, you know what, screw it. The, I, the writing is on the wall. I see how this is going to end. Good luck with Wiggins and Towns and Buddy Heald and Bogdanovich, and I'm just going to chill and wait until Glenn Taylor fires me. And that the one thing that I, I would say... uh is I, I don't like openly lobbying for anyone to be fired, um, unless it's Randy Whitman. But Thibodeau, I don't I, I really like Thibodeau in general. He's one of the first people I ever interviewed in the NBA. He's from the same part of Connecticut that most of my family is from. And as an NBA personality, it's fun to have like a grumpy weirdo on the landscape. So I've enjoyed him. But the environment in minnesota has been so dysfunctional behind the scenes and it you know like there was weird tension with him and jim peterson the the wolves broadcaster he was like battling with uh the wnba coach up there cheryl reeve who's close to glenn taylor and and he refused to fire rick brunson like there's been little kind of battles along the way and if you're glenn taylor I just don't understand why you wouldn't just say, this has not worked. It's clear. Let's pull the plug and start fresh. Because whenever they do finally deal Jimmy Butler, like what should feel like a fresh start for the franchise isn't gonna feel that way because Tibbs is still gonna be there and we're just gonna have to kind of wait it out another nine months before this runs its course. And like I just don't understand why anyone would run the franchise that way.
1: Yeah, well said. I mean, I think the main reason why he doesn't is because Glenn Taylor is one of these broke boy billionaires, you know, like he's got all the money in the world, but he's never really committed to it. I mean, remember how long he stuck with David Khan year after year? Yeah, I think the money is a real impediment for him. And I think he's also looking at himself as like this master of generosity right now because he's just handing out these max deals to Wiggins and to Cat, And it's like, oh, I've invested so much, even though he's like doing the bare minimum that an owner would do kind of in that situation, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that's a hiccup right I mean well, I think that's a real part of it and that probably came into you know became a factor in the Jimmy Butler negotiations I think it right? definitely did is Jimmy happy if they just said we're gonna take care of you no matter what don't worry about it I don't think that was their stance otherwise he wouldn't be this upset so yeah because um, I
0: would say Jimmy probably isn't going to be able to get 5 190 from another team and if if the wolves offered it to him and were able to then also bring back cat and and that's an element like I think we were talking about the timing about this, uh, the timing of all this uh, on the last podcast. And J. E. Skeets, who might be Open Floor's most famous consistent listener, uh, he threw out on Twitter that the theory that Jimmy probably found out that Towns refused to sign his extension until the Wolves agreed to trade Jimmy, and that is probably what kind of pushed this past the tipping point and, and force the trade demand. Um, that's to me is probably the most plausible theory. In addition to the wolves, not wanting to pay Jimmy. Um, but to push back a little bit, I, I hear what you're saying and you're probably right. That Glenn Taylor just doesn't want to eat the 10 or $15 million that he would, ha- or I guess it'd probably be closer to like $20 million that he'd have to eat on the rest of Thibodeau's contract. But like the wolves franchise is worth more than a billion dollars at this point, maybe a billion and a half. And, you know, Glenn Taylor has been rumored to be thinking about selling for the last 10 years. He could sell in the next 10 years. Like at some point he's going to cash out and the the Thibodeau contract is going to be a drop in the bucket. So it's short term thinking on his part as well. I, I don't think Thibodeau is the only one who has kind of the blinders on.
1: No. I feel you, but that's why you're a sports writer and not his CFO, right? Like, oh, $20 <laughs> okay. million, dollars, drop in the bucket. Like, yes. no, I hear you. I That's I agree. why I'm not
0: a billionaire. That's perfectly fair. Also,
1: can, can I nitpick one thing you said earlier? You okay. started your sentence by saying, like, I'm not someone who really ever wants to, like, root for someone getting fired, but... And then you immediately <laughs> rooted for someone getting fired. Andrew, that's not the kind of topic where you can have that kind of a prefatory statement, okay? Okay. Like, you just have to own the fact that you are the type of person who occasionally wants to root for people getting <laughs> fired. And you, you can't hide behind that. Butt. No, no, you know, no. It just doesn't work. What I'll,
0: All I was saying is that as a person, I've always had very positive interactions with Thibodeau. And really, I, no, I, I genuinely I, like him.
1: I I get it. He's part of the Celtics family. You guys exchange your your, your green blood trades all the time. You know, you just you're probably come home, Tom. Runs together.
0: <laughs> We're waiting. We're ready to go chase number eighteen. That's what it's all about.
1: Um. Yeah. Uh, but no. Is there anyone else? I'm I'm serious about this brainstorming session. Like, who else would you even be looking for? Like, right now, my mentality is: if they can't get a deal done with like the Clippers and the Heat of the world, then you do have to start going to teams like. Sacramento, Orlando, like the teams that just have nothing going on and would be like, eh, why not? Let's just see what happens if we bring Jimmy Butler in, right? Um, And when you look at those rosters, the quality of that main piece coming back is, is pretty rough, right? I mean, you're, you're not going to get a high level prospect player. You're going to, you're probably going to struggle to even match salaries in some of these cases because those rosters are so young. I think they're in a tough spot, man. If they can't, you know, if they can't convince Miami or LA to really get serious and give them at least something that they can use to save face, um, this could drag. Would you the the one other option for them? And we should finish off by
0: talking about the Miami side of this, but quickly, what I would say is I would call Brooklyn and tr- and try to steal some of their young pieces. And it's funny, man, because the Nets. They stockpile all these guys that NBA Twitter loves too much. Like, I fucking love Karis LeVert. And I'm convinced that he's like a star hiding in plain sight. Not and Not a star, but like an Otto Porter type guy hiding in plain sight. And uh, the reality is that guys like him, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, have never really been good in a meaningful way. But if you're out of options, they wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. You know, I, I, if you could call and try to steal one or both of them, although even that is probably too much at this point. But if you could steal one of those guys and maybe one of their guards, uh, that would be a decent backup plan. Better than going to the Sacramento Kings of the world.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess Ronnie Hollis Jefferson kind of falls into that same, like Josh Richardson centerpiece type thing, right? Where, yeah. You know, that's, That's tough. I mean, that would be a bitter pill (laughs) for ownership to swallow. Yeah, that's true. The
0: optics are not great. Unless, again, if you're trying to impress like 800 people on NBA Twitter, uh, Tibbs could win that at least. Um,
1: uh, Let me ask you this. If you were in Butler's situation, how long could you hold out? before you'd be like okay i screwed up like this wasn't the right plan like what do you mean i mean are, do you like like do you hate cat and wiggins so badly that you just wouldn't ever show up like if i was in his situation like let's say tibbs does the crazy madman theory and it's just like we're not trading you and we're gonna go into the season and they start like i don't know you know five and twelve because they don't have butler on the court do you get to thanksgiving and reconsider your position at all i mean you can't sit out the whole season can you uh, i don't know I mean, Jimmy
0: has so many miles on him that like the idea of him sitting out half the season, isn't the
1: worst thing in the world. Uh, I I do think that this is in college. You can't take a gap year. Okay. You gotta be (laughs) playing every season. What is this?
0: I still think that's what LeBron should have done. Just to be like, I'm chilling. I'll be back in 2019. Um, yeah, no, you're right. I don't think he's going to regret it, and I think he's going to get traded in the next 10 days. You're, if it drags on till Christmas, I'm sure he'll have some some second thoughts. Um, I don't think that he's in a position to be resentful of the way this is playing out or be impatient because, like, look, executing any deal like this takes a little while. And, you know, it. again, the Wolves are not wrong to be like, let's just— wait and see what we can get if we extend this another week. I'm sure the offers have been like shockingly bad in the first few days.
1: For sure. Now I'm kind of rooting for Tibbs not to blink and to just basically wait Jimmy out so that sometime in like mid-January... He comes back and just openly hates his teammates and is like playing. <laughs> He's like throwing the ball at Wiggins' head, like instead of just like you know making the extra pass or like just openly bickering with Towns on pick and rolls. That would be that would actually be pretty funny to watch. Um, all right, we've we've definitely run this into the ground, and we will keep
0: things rolling. But first, Ben, today's episode of Open Floor is brought to you by Hello Fresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. There's something for everyone with HelloFresh's selection. Ben, talk to me about your experience with HelloFresh.
1: HelloFresh? Um... Andrew, everyone's experience with this is the same thing. People know how this works, right? You get a subscription service, they deliver the food. It's all in these little pre-packaged ingredients so you don't have to think, you don't have to measure, you're just throwing it together. It's a fantastic lunch dinner option for people who don't really know how to cook, who don't have the time and energy to conceive of their own entire meal. What I love about HelloFresh, Andrew, is they've got three different options, classic, veggie, and family. Everyone in the world fits into one of those three categories, Andrew. If you've got the family, guess what? You're in the family group. I'm in the veggie group. You might be in the classic group mixing a little bit more meats probably uh, You know, in those recipes. But the bottom line is they have these 20-minute meals that are actually 20-minute meals. It's not like, oh, yeah, 20, but it's really an hour and a half. It's 20. You're going to be full before you even realize that you were hungry.
0: Yeah, there you go. Rediscover the magic and excitement of cooking. There are many benefits of subscribing. And now the good part, our listeners get $20 off your first three boxes. That's a total of $60 off. All you have to do is visit HelloFresh.com slash Floor60 and enter promo code Floor60. Uh, That's floor spelled out. 6-0. 60. It's that simple. Go to hellofresh.com/floor60 and rediscover the joy of cooking.
1: hellofresh.com/floor60 hellofresh.com/floor60 and don't forget the promo code Andrew floor60. You're going to get $60 off. Incredible.
0: You know what, Ben? I just discovered, I just realized why it's 60 because you're saving $60. When I first read that, I was like, why, why did they throw 60 in there? But that
1: makes sense. Go save $60. Go get HelloFresh. Let's get back into it. Can we get to some of these great questions that I tried to tease like half an hour ago that you threw by the wayside, please? <laughs> All right.
0: So uh, Jerry says, hey, guys, given the pro career of Luka Doncic, it's hard to believe he doesn't already qualify for the top 100. He checks off every box in the evaluation criteria except not a first-year NBA player. If you were to loosen that rule to allow for former pros from Europe coming into the NBA, where would he be in the top 100? What do you think, That's a
1: great question. It's it's a great question, Jerry. Um, and actually, that is maybe something we should consider doing. When you've got a pro body of work, it's a little bit different than college, but uh, we like our clean no rookies rule in the top 100, so we'll probably stick with it. Um, I don't know exactly where to put them. I'm curious what you would say. I mean, my first instinct whenever we have guys who have no real body of work is to be very conservative on them. And sometimes that does get us burned. I mean, I'm thinking he might be somewhere in like the low 70s, maybe to start, um, as just a kind of a conservative uh, jumping off point. I mean, the Mavericks were not very well represented on this year's list, which is usually a sign that you know he's going to have a great opportunity. You know, if you're a real talent, you're going to have the ball a lot. They're going to ask you to do whatever you can do. Um, But, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I, I could see an argument saying that he's not. He's not done it on the NBA level, so therefore he shouldn't be included at all. Mm-hmm. But I mainly wanted to have this question in the mailbag so that we could get your true thoughts about Luka Doncic. <laughs> I suspect I suspect that you're holding out on us a little bit here on the podcast and that you might be a little more skeptical about Luka than you've let on so far.
0: Well, that's why I, I enjoy uh, talking about this. I don't care where Luka Doncic ranks in the top 100, but this does highlight the next great open floor feud because I'm pretty much out on like the Luca as savior type, Luca as the next Dirk. Like Dirk Dirk came out and said he's much better than I was at 18 years old or 19 years old, which may be true. But again, none of this stuff is linear. Like Dirk was terrified and had been super sheltered when he got to the NBA. And so the there was a much bigger adjustment to make, but I think like his ceiling was always higher than what Doncic is gonna be dealing with. Um, I don't know. I texted you last night. Luca looks like he has the physique of a Seven Eleven employee. He's uh,
1: come on, been man. out of shape
0: for months now. It's not a great sign that he's nineteen years old and looks a little thicker. I don't know. Um, He, I'm really interested to watch him play. I think that everybody should be a little bit cautious in terms of expectations. As a passer, he's going to be phenomenal. I just, I'm expecting him to be more like rich man's Joe Ingles than next Dirk.
1: Isn't it possible he's just big boned, you know? Like, I don't think he looks (laughs) sloppy. File that under things you don't
0: want to be saying about your future franchise player. (laughs)
1: Do you think he's going to win rookie of the year or where do you think he wides up? Because I mean, he is going to have a huge opportunity in Dallas. I really do think that. And the only reason why he would be in this top 100 discussion is because, you know, you look at the rest of their roster and it's like, Hey, someone's going to have to handle the ball, run the offense, you know, and, and do all the things that he can do play make for others, because a lot of their guys are just not, uh, you know, possessing that type of skill set, Right. And I think he also comes in, NBA ready, you know. I mean, his body might not be perfect, but his skill level, his feel, and all that stuff is definitely high level, especially compared to a lot of rookies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, coming out of college or or those guys. So he should hit the ground running. I almost am in the camp that if he doesn't win rookie of the year, it will be a disappointment. Am I going too far? Um, no. I
0: I, I think actually, yeah. I think that is going a little bit too far, just because there are a couple different rookies who will have. Equal opportunity to put up big numbers. Um, I, like I think DeAndre Ayton could average eighteen and nine in Phoenix and and be pretty good for a surprising Suns team. And in that timeline, like he's going to get a lot of votes. Um, and Trey Young, like God knows what's going to happen with the Hawks, but Trey Young could put up really great numbers and he'll be in the mix too. So I think Doncic is the clear favorite though and should be. Um, and The one thing that I, he is, he's, he's more NBA ready than most of the rookies we've seen over the past few years, but like the idea that his experience in Europe is that much different than a lot of the high level college experience is I think a little bit misleading because the 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 skill in Europe is significantly better than what guys see in America at the college level but the athleticism is is probably worse than some of the high level NCAA stuff and uh and I think that the, like the biggest question mark facing Luca is like how is he going to be able to create against NBA athletes and and How much upside does his offense have in that setting? And that's one where we all kind of have to wait and see. And even if he is rich man's Joe Ingles, that's basically like Otto Porter. And that's still a top 50 player. And Otto, like he could have been in the 30s and I wouldn't have blinked. So he's going to be really good. And I think it's realistic to say that he's probably going to be like a third star at worst. Uh, I just don't see him getting much better than that.
1: Can I ask you a question? Is there any other player in the last couple of draft classes outside of maybe Ben Simmons where you could see that player who you know went to college at the NCAA having the level of success that Luka had abroad? I don't see a lot of guys. You know, that's that's one test that I've kind of tried to imagine, like these high-level point guard prospects who kind of came in or, you know, like a Donovan Mitchell even, or or some of these guys, could any of those guys do what Luca did overseas? I know you're saying what's different about the athleticism versus the experience, and the polish and all that. Yeah. Is there anyone else on that list who you would say, yes, they could go over there and dominate? I mean, obviously Anthony Davis, when he was at Kentucky could have been pretty amazing if he had played for FC Barcelona, right? But yeah, since since then, I mean, who's the guy? Towns, maybe. I mean, who else would it be?
0: That's a really good question. I mean, I, you know, Tatum actually was super polished um, coming out of high school and, and could have done okay over there. But that's a smart way to reframe it. And I think what I would say is that the the skills that Luca has. Uh, are tailor-made for that game over there. And and I think it makes him a lot more valuable. And and I, the one thing I would add is this is not like a xenophobia thing. Like I wrote 10,000 words on international players and how valuable they've been in the NBA. We just haven't seen international guards come over and dominate. And that's that's the part that I wonder about um, with Luca. But you're right that like asking American teenagers to go over to Europe and do what he's – done is probably unrealistic 99 times out of 100 so he's he, there's no question he's been really oppressive over there
1: yeah you got really close there to saying like oh one of my best friends is a woman when you're defending yourself <laughs> no, <come on. laughs> uh, i'm just i'm teasing you i mean look i don't think you're you're being xenophobic i think you're you're honing in on what his supposed big biggest weakness is and what i'm curious is coming to the nba like if athleticism um, or like just raw speed off the dribble is your weakness. But now you're playing in an NBA system where there's space everywhere. Does Do you actually look faster? Or when you're playing against NBA athletes, does that wind up biting you? I mean, I think that's kind of the fundamental question for him. I brought all this up because I just conducted my interview uh, with our anonymous scout for the NBA preview magazine. Oh, there we and go. I was doing the Pacific division, obviously. And so that winds up having the Sacramento Kings and the Phoenix Suns kind of on the block in terms of you know their draft decisions to pass on Luca. Yeah, and the scout was like, Luca's going to get all these guys fired. <laughs> He's like, one way or another, <laughs> Vlade, Ryan McDonough. Uh, he even went you know to the Hawks GM too. Although I think he was a little bit higher on, on Trey Young than um, you know Bagley or Aiden. He's like, Luca has the potential. to get people fired in year one. And it's like, I wouldn't want to have passed on him under any circumstances. Like, I don't care what my owner was trying to say. If I was in Phoenix, I would have just said, I'm taking Luca and fire me if it doesn't work out. So I thought that was a a pretty hot take. Yeah. And definitely something to watch here as, as we go forward into the season. Um, that's interesting.
0: It's not necessarily what I've heard from scouts on Luca. Uh, but he certainly does have a lot of people who love him. And you could make. A, I mean, look, I have no idea why Sacramento didn't go after Luca and just put oh him next God, to De'Aaron Fox. Like that one was really puzzling. I think Aiden is a pretty safe bet to be pretty good at worst. Um, and I, I that decision in Phoenix made some sense. It's low on the list of McDonough grievances over the last few years, but the Kings thing was crazy at the time and will probably only look crazier as we go.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just they have such a hole at point guard in Phoenix still. And it's like, OK, how are you going to get anything out of eight? And if you don't have a point guard, like they're just trying to squeeze into like a nine team Jimmy Butler deal so you can get anyone <laughs> yeah. to play point guard for them. And it's like, well, if your backcourt was Luka and, and Booker, you would be pretty solid. That's and true. And your coach knows exactly how to use him. I don't know, well, but uh, that was probably an ownership decision even more than a, than a McDonough decision. It sounds but like it was. We should probably, yeah, let's move on.
0: Okay, Um. yeah, let's zoom through a couple of these. I'm not doing another hour and a half podcast. Uh, Noah says, Milwaukee has to swing for the fences and somehow move Bledsoe to get Giannis one more star-level teammate. The time is now. Giannis should be the best player on earth and chasing rings instead of trying to get a table in the Milwaukee Taqueria. I'm relatively <laughs> high on Malcolm Brogdon and Chris Middleton and very high on Budenholzer, a.k.a. any coach but Jason Kidd, but the the Bucks need to do something right now before it's too late. Bledsoe's not the guy, but packaged with one or two younger dudes and peddled to the right buyer, he could help get the right third piece. Um, I think this is a really smart point, but I, I think you need to be very realistic and, and recognize that like Bledsoe is not good enough to really bring back anything on the trade market, and uh, they don't have one or two younger dudes to package with him, and that's part of the problem is that the Bucks have kind of struck out in a, a number of drafts over the past few years um, beyond the Brogdon pick. But I do think it's going to be really important for the Bucks to be aggressive about building the team they are going to have in two or three years. And I, 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 there's a risk of, of t- taking the short-term view and saying, let's go see if we can win 54 games with this roster. And maybe that'll be enough to get momentum going in the right direction. But like Middleton's going to get expensive next summer. I think Bledsoe's a free agent as well next summer there's the, the the roster isn't good enough now and and they're gonna have to pay a premium to bring all these guys back and so i i like i would shake things up if i were john horst
1: yeah i, I was reading a piece on Hoops Hype uh that was talking about just max contracts and how those negotiations work and whatever And kind of buried halfway through that piece was a quote from an anonymous executive i can't remember if it was former or current but He said, "There's a 100% chance that Giannis leaves Milwaukee after his current contract." That statement really hit me in the face hard because I, you know, as a board member of Giannis Inc., (laughs) have been completely uh, ready to buy all of Giannis's loyalty talk, right? Uh, But this idea that you know the the level of riches and fame that would be available to him if he if he changes markets or the desire that a company like Nike might have to place him into a major market uh, or to get him into a situation where he has a better chance to compete for a title is very significant. And to have it laid out that firmly, I mean, even if it's from someone who's kind of hiding behind anonymity, uh, that really puts Milwaukee's current conundrum into completely like just no pretenses, you know, type of uh, terms. Yeah, I'm not ready to ship out Bledsoe yet. I thought he was maybe a little bit underrated during last year's regular season. I agree with Noah's general point that he's not really the guy, Um, but I don't think he was nearly as bad as he looked during the playoffs. And I think everyone, especially their... Uh, you know, auxiliary pieces there, I think will look better under coach Bud. I mean, that tends to happen when you've got a coach who has a clear philosophy of how he wants to play, has a proven system, uh, understands the best way to generate high percentage looks consistently over and over. And so I think the stars are going to look better in Milwaukee, but I also think the role guys are going to look a little bit better too. Um, I guess I'm still in the camp of like, just play it out for one season, see how everyone looks under coach Bud. But that's where you get into the tricky timing thing because the clock is really ticking on Giannis. And we shouldn't hide from it anymore, Andrew. As Giannis (laughs) board members, we should start preparing ourselves mentally now for the possibility that Giannis is going to go elsewhere.
0: Well, exactly. All right. We're Giannis Inc. board members. We are only Bucks shareholders. That's a very temporary relationship. (laughs) (laughs) I am willing to cash out at any point. And uh, as far as this is concerned... The reason I wouldn't trade Bledsoe, I would keep Bledsoe and bet on the market for him next summer, not being what he expects, and hope that you can kind of bring him back on a cheaper deal. Um, and uh, the guy I would trade is your boy, Chris Middleton, Oh, because no, they're, <laughs> they're about to have to pay him more than he's worth. Um, I mean, look... I would, try to, I would try to deal Brogdon. I would try to attach Brogdon to Bledsoe. And if you could get like a CJ McCollum type player um, or just CJ McCollum for Bledsoe and Brogdon, do that in a heartbeat. Um, but I think you're probably going to have to give up more. And Middleton, again, is, is very good. But if you're paying him as if he's like a max level superstar, which I think is what he's going to be looking for next summer, you're going to end up overpaying and being disappointed with the production you're getting. And uh, I think finding another shot creator who can hit from outside around 40% would be awesome next to Giannis. And so, yeah, really, I'm just sort of ju- just now imagining C.J. McCollum on that Bucks team, and it would be a really fun fit Um
1: but uh that's it would but let me I hate to burst your bubble the Blazers would never do that deal you're laying out and I think that goes back to Noah's point or maybe your, your would, point initially which is Bledsoe doesn't have a ton of trade value
0: yeah but would they do it for Middleton
1: uh they should but I don't think they would because I think they'd be concerned about uh you know paying him going forward and CJ's kind of locked in CJ's and- locked
0: in that's why I would do it I th- I think they're equal but you get a better contract in McCollum and uh, and a little bit more upside as a scorer.
1: Well, look, I mean, Chris Middleton's worth every penny. There is no salary too high <laughs> to pay for his incredible all-around production, okay? Uh-huh. Yeah, look, you, you're speaking as a anyway. Giannis,
0: Inc. board member, all right? You have some fiduciary duties, to be honest, here.
1: No, I do like the the Middleton pairing with him. I wouldn't blow it up this season, but I hear what you're saying. You might want to approach that uh, negotiation with a little bit of care. Yeah. I do wonder, though, if Middleton's the type of guy who's going to get some major just max offer, like standing ready for him to go in free agency, or if the market would view him with a little bit more skepticism than that. I, I kind of think he would be... Um, not quite in that category
0: yeah you may be right the point is no Noah uh the emailer is correct that the Bucks should be looking to get aggressive and who knows what's out there but they should be sort of willing to shake things up now because it's going to be it will definitely be too late like a year and a half from now and uh and if I were them I would have yeah. spent the last year shopping Brogdon just to see what you can get
1: no, and we should give them credit for being aggressive to get Bledsoe in the first place, right? I mean, that was yeah. a really nice trade for them, and that puts them in a place maybe where you can flip that asset going forward. So I'm with you. I have faith in uh, John Horst. I mean, let's you know, let's let's you know, keep our uh, you know fingers crossed that he's able to pull something off. I'm just not really expecting it. I think their current <laughs> yeah, roster I don't is have be much pretty faith, much their but- team. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, in in theory, I do, but in practice, I think they're going to be who they are. Okay.
0: Uh, Well, continuing on uh, with our long-term planning theme here, Byron says, As Sharp pointed out, Jimmy Butler is another superstar who didn't want to play with LeBron. But is that because Jimmy is tight with the Team USA guys, and he knows that the LA max salary slot will eventually belong to Anthony Davis, especially now that he has signed with Clutch? God, I love NBA conspiracy theories. Byron, I love NBA conspiracy theories as well. Ben, you are immersed in Lakers talk out there. What's your read on the Anthony Davis Clutch Alliance?
1: I mean, that would be a great move, both for Anthony Davis, the Lakers, LeBron. I mean, that's the definition of a win-win-win. I mean, obviously, the the Pelicans, they're not part of that (laughs) equation. They're, They're the lose. But... I mean, what is preventing that from happening? You know, the Lakers have the trade pieces to give yep. a re- a reasonable and respectable trade package into to New Orleans in return. The Pelicans have sort of tried everything they can possibly try, and they've they've hit a very hard ceiling. I don't see them ever getting to a conference finals, especially not this season. Uh, you know, Anthony Davis is the type of player especially kind of going into his third contract where there is a whole level of fame that he hasn't reached Mm -hmm. that he should have reached by now. Like there's definitely, he's an untapped resource. You know, he could be a lot more famous with more advertising uh, opportunities, greater sneaker buzz, all of that. Um, And he would be a perfect fit with LeBron. I mean, even an aging LeBron, even a 35, 36 year old LeBron, like those two guys would be an absolutely outstanding pairing. Are you sure about that? That's pairing. That's yes, I am. what I
0: wonder because I think LeBron. You can sell me on him continuing to thrive through his twilight. If you also say, all right, he's going to be playing mostly the four and some five in L.A. I don't know if LeBron and Kyrie and uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis are actually an ideal pairing i mean look they're probably gonna end up being andrew. the one and two best players on earth uh through throughout like the next 4 or 5 years um
1: but andrew come on now ad at the 5 lebron at the 4 me at the 3 you at the 2 <laughs> and you know whoever at the 1 we're winning 55 games man
0: i guess so i don't know i love anthony davis when he's around the rim i didn't really love perimeter Anthony Davis and there's uh, look I I understand how insane this sounds but in the same way that Kevin Love and LeBron both needed the ball in the same place and Love was marginalized as a result I think like uh, a much more lucrative version of that relationship could exist with Anthony Davis and LeBron and uh, they're both probably great enough to make it work regardless but I would worry about that and I also think this is going to be the ultimate test. Do guys a generation younger than him want to play with LeBron? Because we we really don't know. And there are going to be other teams who are chasing Anthony Davis. I mean, look, like the Celtics are not going away and need an, an Al Horford replacement for the long term. Anthony Davis is one of like two or three guys who could credibly replace Horford and upgrade what he's doing. Um and then, you know, the Knicks could have Durant next summer and could be in the mix and say, look, we'll give you Kevin Knox, Neil Akina, a top five pick, and you give us Anthony Davis. That's a
1: tough offer to beat too. I really appreciate your ability to, you know, argue the opposite point, you know, play devil's advocate here. Can we please just take a moment to say how incredible it would be if LeBron and Anthony Davis were on the same team? Uh, I think, first of all... Davis is so talented. He can never be marginalized. Like there's no scenario where you could like put him with ball hogs that he still wouldn't look like either the best or the second best player on the court. Yeah. Uh, He's so versatile offensively. You give him the ball anywhere in the half court, he's going to score it. I agree that I don't love him just, you know, being a pick and pop three point shooter all day long, but his ability to put pressure on the rim, the lob stuff. I mean, how many alley-oops you want to talk about lob city LeBron to AD would be lob city on steroids um then (laughs) defensively like they they really need a five defensively I think their biggest flaw right now as a roster is that LeBron at the five is only going to make sense against certain lineups and they don't have a really trustworthy backline center I mean obviously are you saying that
0: didn't solve all their problems this summer
1: and I'm also skeptical of Zubak okay I'm gonna go (laughs) all in on this on this point I, I yes it's a hole I mean, Anthony Davis fills that hole absolutely perfectly. He does. Uh, And he also can run. And they want to push the ball up and down the court. And Anthony Davis is completely capable of doing that, as we saw in New Orleans. And that's really the best version of Davis, is when he's out in the open court. And I think it would be a phenomenal fit, personally. I mean, like, the, the two of those guys together. and. I think it also would make it really easy to construct the lineups around them. Like you could definitely trade Brandon Ingram to get Anthony Davis because you wouldn't need any other, you know, third scorer. You would just need shooters. That's all right. you would need. Uh, you know, sh- shooters and defensive players. So, I also think like we kind of thought there was going to be a-, a passing of the baton between LeBron and Kyrie. Like that was sort of his master plan, right? It's like once I'm getting old, like Kyrie will be able to take over the reins. And it just didn't happen because LeBron didn't age. And because Kyrie was like, you know what? I'd rather just have my own team right now. I don't yeah. want to be patient and wait around for it. <laughs> well, I and because the baton could, it, it could actually get passed though, right? Sure. I mean, LeBron, like two years from now, it would be, hey, LeBron's now a pass first guy. The whole offense runs through AD. I could actually see that being, you know, I, you can convince me of that. You can't really convince me of, oh... LeBron's going to take a backseat to you know Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball in two years. I don't really see that happening.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's certainly what LeBron and Rich Paul will be selling when it's time when Anthony Davis wants out this time next summer or not this time next year, but the next summer when Anthony Davis is ready to leave, uh, which again is not a foregone conclusion to the 15 Pelican fans who are going to email us and, and bitch about this but like it's it's on, certainly though. should it be
1: what's i mean we're out we're, we're in this new era of the nba where everything's just out in the open right yeah these little like passive things that used to be hid behind closed doors now jimmy Butler's is just not showing up to training camp and everybody's yelling about it on twitter like hasn't anthony davis been through enough in new orleans i like, think so doesn't he deserve the right to compete for a title. I don't think we need to apologize to the Pelicans fans. I think the Pelicans fans need to admit that. They need to understand where they stand in the pecking order, don't they?
0: Yeah, and if they wanted to complain, I would understand where they're coming from, um, just like I understand Wolves fans who are like, I'm sick of the NBA, I'm done with this league. Uh, it's perfectly fair, but for the league at large, your point at the beginning of all this, Anthony Davis should be a lot more famous than he is right now. He's incredible to watch. You're Like, literally will take your breath away with some of the stuff he does and just break your brain. Um, and LeBron and, and Rich Paul and those guys are going to be selling him hard on LA and selling the idea that LeBron is ready to kind of take a back seat and, and empower Anthony Davis to be the best player on earth. Um, and the all I will say is that they aren't going to be the only people doing that there are going to be other people around the nba trying to sell him on what's possible in new york or what's possible in boston or what's possible in golden state you know like this is going to be a, a race and signing with clutch is not necessarily the end of the story so that's that's my take right now
1: no that's i mean it's going to be a real sweepstakes there's no question about it um now you're getting me excited about this pairing with LeBron, though. I hadn't really thought through it until we started talking about it, but it would really, really work. Yeah, and well... The thing is, if LeBron loses his sweepstakes, by the way, then the point that you were making and catching all that flack for of like, you can't play with... You know, superstars don't want to play with him won't that be sort of checkmate in that argument? Oh, yeah. It's like the the fit between him and Davis is really, really good. Davis is obviously like the next big name to come along. There's so many reasons for him to want to go to LA. There's the Nike mafia aspect of it. Uh, There's the clutch mafia aspect of it. It's almost like the burden of proof is on LeBron now to deliver Anthony Davis if he doesn't. That will definitely change perception of him as a sort of a recruiter, and I think more people would come around to your argument that he, you know, superstars, don't want to play with him if they lose out uh, in a recruiting war for Anthony Davis.
0: Yeah, and to, I'm not necessarily arguing that that all superstars don't, but like uh, this has now happened enough that it's a situation that is worth talking about and worth monitoring whether it's Kyrie, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi seems lukewarm on it like it's not not a thing um and so and look LeBron could be coming off a first round playoff loss when he's trying to recruit Anthony Davis so he's going to be pretty desperate too and it's going to be interesting um by the way when you talk about the fit I was sort of playing devil's advocate and the, the, you mentioned the alley-oops, that's all I was imagining. And so I was listening to myself talk about whether, ah, I don't know, I'm not sure. And then, as I said, I know this sounds insane. In my head was just LeBron throwing like a series of alley-oops to Anthony Davis over and over again, uh, which is probably what it would be like. And it would be incredible.
1: No, we understand, though. You need a successor for Al Horford on your favorite team. Uh, Once you've got number 18, you're looking at number 19 and 20. You're trying to lay the groundwork. I get it, man. You're just one of Danny Ainge's army. I get it. Come take over the world with 12-time Tatum. Uh,
0: Sam says, could you guys talk about your colleague Lee Jenkins joining the Clippers front office? It sounds to me like an innovative move to have a journalist of his caliber – help to establish and assess the narrative of a team and its players and prospective free agents. Also, could you guys talk about what you learned from Lee working with him at SI? So Ben, you... Learned more from Lee. You were with him longer, and you were both on the West Coast, so you knew him a little bit better than I did. So I'll let you start.
1: Well, I think um first of all, it's a really innovative move by the Clippers, as as he mentioned in the email. I really can't wait to hear about where it goes and to see where he takes it. I mean, to me, it just kind of boiled down to like their front office, like Lee, and they're like, you know what? It'd be cool if he was just part of our team. Let's yeah. just get him, you know and uh, you won't believe this, Andrew, but billionaires like Steve Ballmer can probably outbid, uh, you know, <laughs> Meredith Corporation to, like, you know, get a, a superstar services. Um, I think Lee's skill set is very, very wide. Like, obviously, he's an incredible communicator and a really, really good profile writer, right? but to be that you have to have great interpersonal skills you have to be able to get people to trust you you have to be able to build rapport you have to have excellent relationships with sort of movers and shakers behind the scenes whether that's agents people close to players uh, and everything else so i think part of it is you know, when you when you hire lee you're hiring his network right like you're hiring everyone he knows and his built up uh, you know relationships with all the guys who have sort of existed in the nba here over the last you know 10 to 15 years He's profiled every top 10 guy that matters, you know. Yeah. He's spent time with these guys. He's gotten to know what makes them tick. He's gotten inside their head. So if you're going big game hunting in Free Agency, Lee is a wealth of knowledge. It's not unlike what a scout would bring to the table like a really good veteran scout in terms of being able to assess a guy's like pros and cons, his strengths and weaknesses. Lee would be able to do that in terms of their personalities too because, you know, he knows them quite well. And I think you can also just spin forward those same skills when you're looking at pre draft prospects or, you know, other guys who you might be looking to add to your roster, whether it's from Europe or otherwise. Like there's a lot of opportunities uh, to put, you know, his types of skills to the test. And it's not unlike, uh, you know, a basketball scout telling you what a guy can do on the court, strengths, weaknesses. I think Lee brings that sort of off the court as well. I also think that there's uh, an element of, uh, you know, potentially narrative writing for the whole organization, right? Like the Clippers mm-hmm. have been trying to find their standing in the league. Of course, they're always viewed as like, you know, the Lakers' little brother. I mean, Lee is an incredible storyteller, right? So if you're trying to tell the story about why you did a trade, um, you know, if you're trying to message why you drafted a certain player uh, in the in the draft or why you decided not to, uh, you know, re-sign a, a player, I think Lee could add real value there too. But, you know, we'll see how they decide to use him. Uh, in terms of what I learned from him, basically, uh, you know, he was very kind to everyone. Everyone kind of like laughs and chuckles at how he personally thanks all the uh, readers on Twitter. You know, he'd write a story, he'd get a thousand retweets, and he'd go through every single person who replied to him and say thanks. Yeah, he's a very kind human, but he's also a ruthless competitor, and I think that's really what stuck out to me. Is like if you want to be great you want to be the Lee Jenkins uh, of sports writing, like if you you want to be on that level, you have to work super duper hard. You have to be so competitive. You've got to protect every little nugget of information that you're able to glean. Uh, And then you also have to think really hard about how you want to present it. And I'll just use one example of that. You remember the cupcake detail about Russell Westbrook and, and Kevin Durant, you know, the, the idea sure. that Westbrook basically thought KD was soft. And so they got cupcakes and you kind of put them on Instagram to to talk about July 4th and, you know, basically take a shot at KD. That's, that's the kind was of detail,
0: iconic profile detail. I loved it. And it was also great because we had all seen the 4th of July Instagram and been like, that's weird. And then four months later, Lee drops that on us. It was, it was awesome
1: to explain it completely. Right. Yeah. That's the kind of detail where in this day and age of writing, if you just tweeted that out, he could have gotten 50,000 retweets, right? Uh, And then that would have been the end of it. But what Lee did is he sat on it. He confirmed it. He figured exactly the right way he wanted to phrase it. And he put into a very carefully, uh, you know, calculated story and and he didn't make it like the lead. He didn't make it like, you know, slamming you in the face with it. It was just all very subtle. And I think that's sort of my main takeaway from Lee is that like the scalpel approach rather than the sword approach still has a lot of value in writing. Uh, lots of readers out there will appreciate you if you're able to, you know, not be sensationalized, but if you're able to deliver the kind of juicy tidbits that everybody wants in a very kind of professional and thoughtful manner.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree with everything you said. And I loved Lee. I mean, he was like, he was the first person from Sports Illustrated to reach out to me and give me a call. And when I was deciding between a few different post Grantland options, I think Lee's presence is probably what tipped the scales to sports illustrated. Just like the combination of the quality from him and the consistency and the ambition. I mean, he was awesome and he was a big part of what drew me to SI in the first place. Um, And like, I don't really have much to add to what you said beyond doubling down on what you tweeted and what you just said a second ago. Like, I think Lee was a really good guy, particularly, I mean, he was great to readers. He was great about thanking people, but he was super competitive, and I'm glad that you emphasized that because that was something that kind of caught me off guard and watching him behind the scenes at the finals over the years and just basically any time we were with him we would get to have like lunch and catch up for 30 minutes. And then the rest of the time he would be working various angles and just like constantly on the move and constantly kind of searching for like an extra little detail to throw into things. And uh, in terms of what I learned from him, it's that like that is the standard and that's, that's how you are supposed to do it. And um, it's, it's very intense, uh, but it was really impressive
1: too. He, he runs around and like, you know, he's got his hand over his mouth, kind of like covering his mouth so that people can't like read his lips. You know, like totally. As if he's like an NFL <laughs> head coach and that he doesn't want, you know, like this little tidbit coming out. And there's so many times where you know, he would get, you know, some detail and he would just be agonizing for like three or four straight days. Just like praying that no one else would get it because, you know, he wanted to have it for his story. And that's a really tricky part about his job. And I don't know if everyone always understood it. I mean, you, you mentioned it with the you know th- you know 3 or 4 months later here comes the cupcake detail right when you're writing yeah. for the magazine you don't get to just put out your great detail in your story the day after you get it or like within minutes of when you get it it could be up to 2 weeks when you're filing your story after whatever you heard uh, yeah. happened e- especially like during the finals right so if you get this detail about like you know Draymond calling Kevin Durant from the the parking lot you know then you're sitting on that knowing that everyone else is out there trying to get it and just agonizing of will your story hold up by the time it gets to the magazine that is a level of stress that I don't think a lot of readers understand or appreciate and a big reason why is because Lee's whole approach is basically don't let people see you sweat right like mm-hmm. I mean we see him running around like frantically trying to figure out these details but you would never know it from Twitter. I don't think he's ever complained <laughs> once about it. Uh, but the the amount of stress that he was going through in that specific job is insane you know you wouldn't really wish that on very many people and the fact that he handled it so well says a lot about his character too
0: It's true it is a special kind of stress, and I feel honored to have known just how stressed Lee could get behind the scenes uh, but he didn't let anyone else really see it um, but he was very impressive and always so good to us where like he would help out however he could, whether it was putting us in touch with agents or, or just answering any questions we had. Um, So I'm super bummed that he's not going to be at sports illustrated anymore. I'm excited for the challenge it presents for you and I. uh, But like when I first found out there was like an eight hour period of shock and uh, I was a little deflated, but um, he's going to do great. It's, it's funny. Like, as far as his job with the Clippers, I am really interested. I think it's smart for teams to be looking for new kind of advantages and and new inefficiencies to mine. Uh, because like it's like you spin it back twenty years, everybody was hiring advanced stats guys, and and that was kind of an area where you could get an edge. And I think you're right that Lee can provide value in a lot of different ways that other front office members can't. I think I have no idea what his job is actually going to be. and I think Lee probably doesn't either, but he's smart enough and hardworking enough to where I find it hard to believe that he won't find a way to sort of provide value. And, And really, like with some of these... With some of these teams, like if you nail a couple big decisions and if, and if Lee can influence a couple big decisions, that justifies like the whole contract because these are huge deals. And, uh, and I think Lee is going to help kind of shade things in the right direction for the Clippers going
1: forward. We should stop here because I'm going to get like five texts from him saying, You guys went on too long, saying too many nice things about me. What's wrong with you? Because he always <laughs> loves to, like, you know, hassle me. And he was not happy with the tweets that I put out there where I was, you know, he's like, I come loved on, Lee. We're ready it. For the, I was so ready happy for with the, the tweets. comeback. <laughs> yeah, we're ready for the comeback. Be like Mike, 45, you know, just take a year or two off and then come back and grace us with your return. Uh, but I will say this, Andrew, this is a promise to Lee. The first time you screw up, Lee, we're coming after you, okay? We're oh, keep I can't it wait. Nice and, <laughs> and fair and balanced. But if you sign the wrong free agent next summer, we're pinning the whole thing on you, Lee Jenkins, okay? We're, we're coming after you tooth and nail.
0: That's right. Yeah. If Lee is involved in any sort of burner account scandal, we will pull <laughs> no punches. <laughs> we are going to be in the mix. Uh, but the last thing I would say that I enjoy is like the past few times I talked to Lee. You could sort of tell he was searching for a new challenge because he'd already profiled like 20 of the best players in the NBA. And he's very much approaching this Clippers thing as a writer. And I don't think he's done writing for the rest of his career. So people, we got a couple other emails.
1: Look, there's no way. He's he's coming back. I'm I'm guaranteeing that he's coming (laughs) back. I have no personal (laughs) knowledge of that. But look, I mean, come on. You can't be as good as he is at his craft and then just like hide away in a boardroom and not have people read what you're writing. It's impossible.
0: There you go. Well, for now, go Clippers and congrats to Lee. Um, And let's finish out with one more question about a colleague of ours. Uh, Trey says, what does Rob Mahoney think and do during your top 100 fights? Can we get a video feed a la LeBron and the Cavs after JR's screw up in last year's finals do you have any insight there
1: ben i I do this is a great question from trey i have all often wondered this first of all how bad were we on a scale of one to ten fighting this year i didn't feel like it was that bad but we got some emails people were like screaming like saying you guys went too far again it wasn't as bad as last year's but i thought we were not terrible let me say this.
0: I was angrier than I let on through various (laughs) segments of that podcast. Uh, So I think we did a good job keeping it diplomatic. If anything, it may have been too diplomatic, but, uh, yeah, we were fine. Don't bury
1: the heat. I mean, come on, hop out. Let's, let's hear what were you pissed about? Come on. That's all right. That's all right. No need to reopen old wounds. That mad about Derek favors. Unbelievable. What a weirdo. Um, Rob, I asked Rob this question directly because I thought he could, he could answer it. Here's what he came back to me with, Andrew. Quote, I usually run upstairs and slam the door because I thought we were all a family and families are supposed to love each other. Then I turn up some music to an attention-seeking volume, sit in the corner and scribble angsty poetry into a composition book period. Now he didn't, and end quote, he didn't put any LOLs. I, I don't believe he's joking. I think this is true. Um, we may need to apologize to him.
0: Yeah. Well, Rob is the best sport. Um, and I really am truly <laughs> grateful for how cool he keeps it on those top 100 episodes. And we need to do more three man episodes because it, it is always very fun. And I, I know that like, the level of contempt you have for some of my takes is shared by Rob, but he's such a good guy about it. And uh, so I really enjoy it.
1: No, I, I thought we actually hit the, the wall with him where his patience ran with you ran out and he was kind of pushing <laughs> back harder this year, which I really enjoyed. Uh, I probably should have taken more of a step back and just let him cook. Uh, but we also had someone point out to us in the emails that we should plug Rob's podcast. Guys, if you're getting ready for the season, Um, to start, and you want to just dig into some real meaty basketball stuff as sort of an appetizer for the season, check out the Breakaway podcast. It's incredible. He's got two seasons in the books, and uh, there's so much knowledge to be gleaned uh, from that whole podcast. So if you don't want to listen to him, you know, kind of explain to Andrew why Andrew doesn't understand basketball, check out his (laughs) podcast. It will take the discourse to an even higher level.
0: It is fantastic. All right, man. Well, I have to go, but uh, this was fun. We did not get to a couple different emailers psychoanalyzing me. We'll save those for next week. Uh, But for now... Let's see where Jimmy Butler ends up, and let's keep preview season going. We haven't done a whole lot of previews, but we'll get into that as well. So I'm excited.
1: It's all one giant preview, Andrew. We don't, you know, these little mile posts that other people look at. Oh, season preview! Look, we've been previewing this season for the last four months. Ever there's since, you know, no
0: such thing as a preview when you podcast twelve months a year. You know.
1: Th- thank you very much. You're you're completely correct. Guys, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Go to Apple Podcasts, search Open Floor. That's two words. Find our page. Scroll down. It'll say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy. Andrew, until next week, I will talk to you.
0: All right, man. Take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your
1: team every day.